I hear a lull in conversation. So let's uh, let's bring it back. Here's what I I don't I don't I don't know if I need to know exactly what the stories are that you're talking about, but here's what I do know. I know that it's fair to say that all of us, at some level, um, come to this subject, approach this subject with some baggage. And so my hope is, my hope tonight is that um, is to have an honest conversation about sex that allows us to acknowledge or acknowledge um, and confess our own baggage to it so that God's grace and truth can set us free. That's, that's my hope, and that is impossible for me to do, and so I'm going to pray and ask God um, to do it. So let's pray. God, we do give this time to you. Lord, I know that um, for some, the subject is, is fun and is interesting, and, and maybe some are excited to talk about it and to hear about it, and others come with a lot more heavy heart or um, pain associated with it or um, guilt, maybe. And so, God, we, we want to give all that to you. You are the God of grace and, and truth. And so you, you both um, meet us where we are and accept us as we are, but you, you offer us something that, to move us down the road towards health and wholeness. And I believe that's your word and that's truth. And so God, I ask that your spirit would speak tonight and it would lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So my family moved here about 11 years ago from Southern California. Uh, my youngest son, Trace, was three and a half years old when we, when we showed up. And at some point, I'm not sure, I think it was fall of, of 2010, he was still about three and a half, almost four, and we're getting ready for dinner, okay? So we're going to sit down and have a good dinner, and, and my son was kind of just learning how to express his own opinion, and he's gone on to become a master, actually, at it. Um, but at the early stage, it was kind of, this like, sometimes, sometimes from, from nowhere, he would say things. So we're getting ready for dinner, and he decides... He doesn't want to eat whatever my wife had made that night. I can't remember what it was, but he's like, I don't want, I don't want that for dinner. I says, well, well, what do you want to eat? He said, candy. I want candy for dinner. In his mind, it was like, why would I eat something that doesn't taste good when I could eat something that does taste good? And I said, I'm not giving you candy for dinner. He said, why not? And I said, because I love you. And he shot back right away. Well, stop loving me and give me some candy. Just like that. And, I, and I've told, maybe a few of you might have heard that story before, because I love that story because the older I get, the more I realize I am like him in so many ways. And so I, wanna, I want to point out some things. That, that story reminds me of, of several things, and I think it really kind of helps us set up where we're going tonight. Sometimes we're like this. Um, we're, we're not thinking about the big picture. We're not thinking about our choices and our decisions, how they might affect us spiritually, physically, emotionally. We just want what we want. Trace wasn't thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, if my dad stopped loving me and just fed me candy, um, one, I would die at a young age. I would need lots of counseling, you know, in my life. He wasn't thinking about any of that. He just wanted what he wanted, right? And um, he wasn't thinking about, he wasn't thinking about how his body worked and how sugar worked, and I couldn't explain it to him. He wouldn't have understood. Like, you can't just eat 
sweets all the time and, and expect to be okay. Like he didn't, he wasn't thinking about how his, how his body was designed to work best with healthy foods. He wasn't thinking about, he just wanted to satisfy his sweet tooth. And some of you maybe have approached sex or sexuality like this. It's, it's been a craving or a passionate desire and you've just kind of lived in the moment and you went for it and maybe it led to more and maybe it led to guilt, but that was me. That's been me. I was introduced to pornography at 11 years old by a cousin, an older cousin in my, in my grandma's, in my grandpa's house. And for the next 15 years, it plagued me. It was, it was, um, it was something that, that affected me and affected my relationships. It hurt me and it hurt others too. And after that moment in my grandparents' living room, I had this desire, this, this um, curiosity, this, this craving to see more. And unfortunately, I did. So I come to this subject with, with a lot of baggage, too. A lot of history. Uh, a lot of pain associated with it, honestly. Others of you, maybe it's different. Maybe others of you have had this, like, I have the right to do what I want with my body maybe mentality. Trace was kind of arguing this. He's like, I don't, I don't see the point of how you loving me should prevent me from having what I want. Maybe that's you. This is my body. I can do what I want with it. Or, or maybe, maybe it's um, God doesn't really care what I do with my body. He just wants my soul. Others of you um, might find yourself with this topic really just nervous and anxious like Alec mentioned. Maybe this, this is something you're afraid of, this subject. Um, maybe you've heard parents and churches talk about all the bad things associated with sex, like diseases and you're going to get pregnant and all, you're, you're going to be, I mean, just, so like when, when you hear this, this thing that God is, is it a gift for marriage, this gift from God, and it's talked about in this way, it, it can produce a lot of fear. Um, and I've actually sat with, I've, I've married, I don't know, 20 or 30 couples. I've, I've done premarital counseling for 30, more, 30 or more couples. And I've, I've sat and, and talked to future wives. And this is the one thing that they are not ready for, not excited about, and wish was not even something that existed for their, for their relationship. They're more nervous about... They were more nervous about the wedding night than they were excited about the wedding day. And that's been multiple couples that I've counseled and talked to. And so there can be a lot of fear associated with the subject. I don't know, maybe that's, maybe that's you. However you come to the subject, I'm praying that we can lay our desires, our beliefs, our fears down at the feet of Jesus because His grace is sufficient. And His truth can set us free. And I believe that. And have, ex- have experienced it. So, tonight I want to answer two questions. In the first part, I'm going to answer this question. What are we up against? So normally when, when we teach through, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We don't always talk about sex. But maybe if you come back, we will. Um, um, but we're walking through 1 Corinthians. And this is just the text that we have to get to. So this is why we love walking through the Bible verse by verse, because it forces us to talk about things like last week, lawsuits. Um, 
it forces us to talk about things that we probably wouldn't just bring up. But we want to trust this Word of God. We want to hear what God's Word has to say. So, but, so normally we like walk through the text verse by verse in the first half, and then we take a break. The second, the second half, we maybe share some sort of applicational point. This time, I want to spend my whole time at, at the beginning just talking about what we're up against with this subject, because I think we've got, to, we've got to talk about that. And then the second half, I'm going to answer, what does God have to say about sex? So, what are we up against? Um, I'm going to point two, two main points for this part. Okay, here's the first one, is that our culture, and the culture we live in, it's a culture that, that, that produces the air that we breathe in many ways, says sex is nothing. It's not a big deal. That, it, that it's a basic craving or a need uh, to be filled whenever and by whoever. Um, that our, our culture just kind of expects that everyone's going to do it. In fact, um, you, anymore, it, it, it's, in my experience, you're really hard-pressed to find to that it's even hard to talk about to on like tv shows and movies portray sex by married couples it's always by unmarried couples it, why would you show married couples? that's that's boring and it's not exciting but it is exciting and with non-married couples interesting pornography and sexual explicit material are rampant you readily available you know that um our culture has been preaching this, it's not a big deal message for a long time. There's this article by this lady named Amber Lapp, and she was just um, recently, probably within the last five years, interviewing um, young adults and just kind of getting their, their take on sex in relationships and how it, how it affects relationships and what, what, how it's talked about and how it's viewed. And um, she quotes this one girl, Jessica, a few different times throughout the article. And, it, and, and just what Jessica says really does illustrate what I think is pretty, pretty accurate um, in terms of our, our cultural understanding of, of sex. Here's Jessica's quote the first time. She says, sex is just sex, regardless of who it is with. You can make it mean something if you want, uh, if you want it to mean something. But other than that, if you want it to just be sex, then it's, then it's not going to mean anything. And what she's saying is like, yeah, it's just, it's just natural. And, and she goes on and she says, you don't even have to call the person. You, you both can just have this agreement that you're going to use each other for your own pleasure, and, and it's, it's fine. It can be that. Sex is viewed, what she's getting at is it's viewed as this consumer right. Um, we love our rights. Um, we fully bought into the idea that I can do whatever I want with my body, and it's no big deal. And then we always have this caveat, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. I'm here to tell you, it does hurt others. Later on, the same girl, Jessica, she went on to say how um, sex changes the relationship. Um, she says, the more you like somebody, the more you need to push back sex. Because once, if you like somebody, <laughs> and then you have sex, and they don't reciprocate that, guess what? They're using you, and you're going to get hurt. So you've got to hold <laughs> off. If you, if you really, there's a risk here. Because if you, if you like them and you cross that threshold and they don't reciprocate, guess what? Later on, so that was in the middle of the article. At the end of the article, she's asked if she knows any, anybody that has waited until after marriage to have sex. And she said, yeah, I have a coworker, 
And she described this relationship, and she broke out in tears. The article says, in tears, she described this, this guy who dated this girl. They got engaged. They're waiting until they get married, and he treats her so well. And so Jessica, I think, like our culture, um, is conflicted and, and confused about sex and its purpose. So culture says that it's, that it's nothing but acts like it's everything. It acts like it's the most important thing. So we're a sex-saturated culture, I believe. Um, it's, 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 it's everywhere. It's everywhere your ears and your eyes can go. And so anytime um, you're in a store or you're listening to music or in sports, on billboards, in movies, you know, videos, your phone, your computer, the mall, magazines. It's, it's anywhere and everywhere because it sells everything. It's, it's used. It's enticing. We have um, advertise, advertising and advertisers, um, no offense, marketing majors, has, um, has mastered the power of seduc- uh, suggestion and seduction to draw you in. And so, I was thinking like, okay, I can, I can see, there are certain products I can see how it would make sense to use, you know, seduction. But I was looking at ones that don't make sense, okay? And airlines, web hosting, floor cleaners, flavor water, fast food hamburgers. I don't know if you guys remember the Carl Jr. Uh, commercials. There probably wasn't a Carl Jr. There wasn't one here for a long time, and then there, anyway. But in California, there was, and it was, it was a huge controversial thing because literally it was just a supermodel, not wearing much, on a on a bowl, eating a big juicy hamburger, getting it all over her, and it's like this is so obvious what they're doing, and yet I find myself hungry. Um, I mean, like, why? Because it works. It, it entices you. Like, they figure that out, and, they, and they, they use it well. They sell it because they've, because we've been convinced. Here's why, here's why I think why. Okay, all of you have to, like, take some time and go, why, why does that attract me? That, that's something you've got to do on your own. But I think under all of it, this is a foundation, this is somewhat of an opinion, but an educated opinion, is that we've bought in and been convinced that personal happiness is life's uh, ultimate human experience and sex and romance are at the heart of it. So this is why um, we're willing to say um, that anyone and everyone should be able to have um, sex with and, and be married to and do with anyone, with anyone they want because it is a fundamental human right, and it is the highest human experience. And, and, and it's because it's about personal happiness. And so lots of things get redefined um, when, when that is kind of the, the core. That's, that's my opinion. I'd love to talk to you about it. But there are things that, just like Trace, there are things that we want um, that are doing something to us that we don't want. So, in light of this, 
in light of what we're up against, what do we need? I, I think we need, and this is what I believe the Bible's going to do for us, we need God to lift up sex out of the dirt and out of the darkness to its beautiful place in marriage, what it was given for, and at the same time, remove it from the throne on which our culture has placed it and many of us, many of us, bow down to worship it. And so here in a second, we're, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians 6 and just walk through these verses. Paul, this section, 1 Corinthians 5 through 7, through 7 there's, there's two minor sections. One of them was lawsuits, another one's coming in, in 7, but for the most part deals with and talks about sex almost more than any other section of Scripture. And this particular text, this verse that we're in tonight, is probably the most it is talked about. So it's going to really get into it. So we'll, we'll, we'll take a break, and we'll come back and answer that question, what does God have to say about it? All right, so turn to 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll get there. 1 Corinthians 6, that's where we're at, starting verse 12. All right, so here's, I want to start with um, one, one point uh, that, that kind of counters the first point before, and it's this, that God's design, that, that God designed sex to be important. God designed sex to be important, and we'll get to that. So in Matthew 19.5, Jesus quotes Genesis 2. Okay, so this is a pretty significant verse. I think um, probably... Our culture, every culture struggles in some way. Every culture um, likes certain things the gospel presents and, and then doesn't like other things. So, so our culture loves kindness. The Bible speaks highly of kindness. God is, is, is kind. God, God defines kindness. Kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. And our culture loves kindness. You see shirts all over. Be kind. Right? But... There's, there's things that our culture just, the gospel and, and God's word rubs up against. And, and our culture, I think this is a big one. Where God, where, where Jesus defines marriage um, between a husband and a wife. And so um, we were hoping to have Caleb here and to, and to share more about him. And hopefully that happens. Um, and so that is our plan to kind of tackle um, and talk about um, same-sex attraction and LGBTQ plus issues and, and all of that. So we, we plan to kind of go there in the coming weeks. But Genesis, so Jesus in, in, in Matthew 19.5, he quotes Genesis 2 and, and with a mandate for marriage and sex. He says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So Paul kind of piggybacking off of, off of what Jesus has said and off of pointing to Genesis 2, he says in um, 1 Corinthians 12, what he's going to talk about, he's going to define one flesh for us. He's going to define what that oneness thing is all about. While debunking two opposing views of sex from the culture in Corinth. So the, the culture in Corinth um, was similar. They had similar beliefs about sex that our culture does. So there's a, there's a lot of correlation. And Paul's going to address 
two issues, two kind of opposing views um, in culture. And the first one is this, okay? The first opposing view that, that from the Corinthian culture is that sex is a craving we should satisfy. So that's, that's one view Paul's going to oppose, okay? So looking at verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, end quote, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So in, when, whenever the writers or like Paul is, is quoting something, most likely he's quoting something that they would have been familiar with. So when he says not everything is beneficial, in other words, he's saying just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. Because there are some things that you do, that you want, that will do something to you that you don't want. And he says, I, I will not be mastered by anything. It's, he's saying, when you become the boss of, of you and do kind of whatever you want to do and are free to do, then you can become a slave to the things that you can't control. Like passions and lusts and temptations. And they can dominate you. In verse 13, verse 13, if, if in the CSB, the, the quotations come after, it says, stomach for food. But I actually believe that Paul was quoting that the whole first sentence, that whole sentence should be in quotations. I, I think that whole, I believe just by the way it is worded and by some of the grammar, I believe it, the whole thing should be, should be a quotation. Should, I believe it should say this. For, uh, sorry, food is for stomach. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will do away with both of them. That's the quote. However, Paul, Paul says, the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. So Paul's rebuttal is that sex is not just a craving of the body that we should satisfy like food, and it was never meant for sexual immorality. So if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, maybe grew up in church, you've probably heard that phrase, sexual immorality. It's all over in the New, the New Testament. Um, and it's the Greek word porneia. And you can imagine what we get from that word. It's a Greek word porneia. And it literally means um, across the board, every time it's used, it's referring to any sex or sexual experiences outside of covenant marriage between a husband and wife. That's, that's, that's how God has defined marriage. That's, that's where God has placed sex. It's consistent throughout Scripture. And so porneia, or sexual immorality, is anything that's any sex or sexual experience outside of that. And he's saying, our bodies were not meant for that. But, notice what he says, the body was meant for the Lord. The body was meant for the Lord. What's he, what's he talking about there? We'll get back to that. And God will not, not just destroy things in the end as if nothing we do matters. No, we will be raised to be with the Lord someday. So Paul is saying that it matters what you do with your body. And especially when it comes to sex. Why? why? Why does God care so much? Why does He make such a big deal about sex outside of marriage? So He goes on, 15. But don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Now, don't get distracted by this word prostitute. Because... In that culture, there weren't um, adult singles who liked to mingle. 
That's, that, that wasn't a thing. It wasn't like, uh, oh, I'm down at the office and my coworker and I, that's not how it worked. It was, um, for, for women especially, you were either married, temporarily widowed, or you became a prostitute to survive. There was no, there was no way of making money. If you didn't have a husband to support you, then you were left to f- figure things out and survive. And so the only way to have sex outside of marriage, the, the predominant way to have sex outside of marriage was with a prostitute. And it was readily available, available. In fact, it was a part of temple worship. So there were temples set up and, and men and women outside luring people in as a part of, uh, uh, for sex as, as a part of the worship at that temple. Um, so let me go on, verse 16. It says, Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is, is one body with her? For Scripture says, the two will become one flesh. There's that verse. But, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. So did you, did you catch what he's comparing? He's comparing our union with Christ and the union that takes place in sex. He says, uh, so in other words, like when we put our faith in Christ Jesus, when, when, when we um, are joined with Him, that, that we become one. And it wasn't just a prayer we, pray, we prayed. It wasn't just an idea we believed. It, it was a whole life oneness that happened that, that, that deeply unites us with Him and which transforms us and changes us. So likewise, what he's saying is sex is not just a physical act of, ple- of pleasure, or not just for procreation, but here's, here's the definition I'll, I'll give you for sex. Okay? I believe this is one of the primary purposes for sex. Sex is a physical oneness that was given to deepen a whole life oneness. Sex is a physical oneness that was given to deepen a whole life oneness. What do, I, what do I mean by whole life oneness? Well, the two become one. So Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, says this, The Bible says, Don't unite with someone physically unless you are willing to unite with the person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without first becoming vulnerable in every other way. And in this sense, God gave sex as this final step of oneness, this, this final step of creating a whole life oneness in marriage, one that will continue to get deeper and deeper, to be united deeper and deeper, to be closer and closer, to be, to be more and more one. That's, that's what God gave sex for in this, in this covenant um, committed relationship. So sex is not a consumer good, it is a covenant good. Sex as a consumer good becomes idolatry. And sex as a covenant good glorifies God. And that's consistently how the Bible describes sex. Um, In a sermon that Tim Keller preached called Love and Lust, I definitely recommend listening to it. Tim Keller sermon called Love and Lust, he describes four Four ways that we are tempted um, to to let sex be become idolatrous for us. Okay, 
And I, and I think across the board, this, this might hit all of us in some way. Pornography and masturbation. The purpose of pornography is the opposite purpose of sex in a covenant commitment. It's instant gratification. And sex in a covenant marriage that, that spends a lifetime growing in whole oneness um, takes a lot of work and is hard work and is difficult and complex and it takes a lifetime. But pornography is instant gratification. And, and idolatry comes. Sex, here's the second one, sex outside of marriage. Any sex outside of marriage, outside of a covenant commitment is, you know, in other words, I'm committed to you forever, is, is about consuming selfishly. It's, it's saying, I'm not willing to wait and commit. I just want that. Number three. He says, you can't be, here's, another, here's the other idea. You can't be whole without having sex. That idea. And to say that you and I need anything other than God to be whole is kind of like a definition of idolatry. The fourth one is this, a fairy tale marriage. If your future happiness is wrapped up in some fairy tale view of love, marriage, and family, then that might be an issue for you. That might be a temptation for you. And, and I would be willing to bet if, if, if there's a temptation in you to make sex an idolatrous, it's, it's probably one of these four ways. And it's a pretty comprehensive list. But this is why Paul get, has such strong language. Look at verse 18 in, in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who sins sexually... Who, sorry, the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Paul strongly urges them to flee, to run from sexual experiences outside of marriage because he says, our bodies are not meant for that. You're, you're, you're sinning against your own body. This is the only sin, by the way, that Jesus that, that the Bible speaks of in this way. This is the only, you know, some have believed this is nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture does it say all sin is the same, by the way. That's not a verse. That's not even how it works. Um, but in some sense, all sin is rebellion against God. All sin is saying, I'm going to do what I want to do regardless. All sin... In that sense, it's the same, but different sins have different consequences, clearly. But this one is one that is the only one the Bible separates from the other. And, it's, and it's, it goes back to that statement, because your body was not meant for this. It was meant for the Lord. And we'll talk about that more in a second. But notice the, words, the use of the word body, okay? It's used several times so far in our text. Here's what it says to recap. The body was not meant for sex outside of marriage. The body was meant for the Lord, and we will be raised with Him someday. What you do with your body matters to Jesus. Um, sex outside of marriage sins against the body, and it hurts our body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and your body was bought with a price and is to be used to glorify God. So God, God's Word says that sex is important, and it has a purpose 
and it's not just a bodily craving that we should satisfy. So that's argument number one that he kind of debunks. Then he moves into argument number two, and we get into chapter seven. Here's the second argument that he's going to oppose from his church. And here's what they're saying. That sex is bad and should be avoided altogether. Wait, what? It's almost like the opposite of the first one. That's because in their culture, there was Greek culture, there was Jewish culture in the church. And, and there was a kind of like a eat, drink, and be merry, live it up culture. And there was a, ooh, all flesh is bad and spirit is good. And so anything, any cravings of the flesh, we should just avoid. And, and that's how we'll become spiritual. That was a kind of this dualistic understanding in that culture. And so that's the second argument that Paul's going to kind of go after here in, in chapter 7. So here's verse 1. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, and he quotes them, it is, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In other words, he's saying, they're saying, since it causes all these problems, shouldn't we just avoid it altogether? So here's Paul's rebuttal. Uh, is verses 2 through 5. Okay? But because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Let me stop there, because this is, this is actually an interesting thing. In their culture, um, if you were a woman, your value came through childbearing, especially boys. The more children you had, the more valuable you were to the community, to the family. And so there were actually women, if they weren't pregnant, they were wanting to be pregnant, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, so oftentimes what, Paul, what many think is, Paul's writing to husbands who are like, ah, shouldn't we just, like, and he's saying, no, you need to. And actually there's even cases of wives going to religious leaders, synagogue leaders, and saying, my husband won't have sex with me. Go talk to him. And they would. They would go reprimand him. Because it was kind of his duty to, to fulfill that right, to give her value in that sense to that culture. Now, right or wrong, um, that's not our culture, thank God. Um, but that was their culture. And so what Paul says is kind, of, is kind of hard-hitting. Now, we hear a wife does not have right over her own body, and we think, oh, my goodness. You know, we get upset. But if they, Paul says that to them, they go, yeah. The men go, yeah, of course. And then the next line, and they're like, wait, what? I, I don't have right over my body? It belongs to her? Because the way of Jesus is self-sacrifice. And it's, and it's putting others' ahead of, others' needs ahead of your own. And that, that rubbed against them in the church, just like it rubs against us. Verse 5. This, so Paul says, um, you should do it. Um, so he says... <laughs> Uh, he says, do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So temptation 
was everywhere. And um, just, like, just like today, the temptation for a husband to be with a prostitute, a one-time thing, a one-night stand, easy, don't even have to call her in the morning, versus a wife that you spend the rest of your life with, that you have to work on a relationship with, same temptation. And Paul says, um, don't deprive each other and, and come back together because the temptation is out there. So a lot's going on there. A lot more that we could say and I could say. But So Paul's answer to their question, should we, shouldn't we just avoid it? Paul says, no, actually sex is good and you should not deprive each other. He's, he's assuming most are, are married that he's talking to or too young to marry. And so he's, he's elevating sex to an important place in marriage. But notice what he says about the body. Not only does it belong to the Lord, but for married people, it belongs to your spouse. And this, is, this actually is one reason why, I think, essentially, Paul remains single. Paul said, is going to say later in chapter 7, you'll hear about this in the coming weeks, but Paul will say, I wish you were like me, actually single. He might even say it next week. I wish you were like me, single, because you can do a lot more for the Lord. When you're married, you're tied down. The, you, 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 concerns about the spouse and family are, are a lot. And, but, so he's going he's gonna to really champion singleness. But when, with, for married people, your body belongs to the Lord and your body belongs to your spouse. So Paul's lifting sex up to its right rightful, God-ordained place in marriage to be enjoyed regularly for the purpose of deeping, deepening whole life commitment um, between the two. God designed sex to be important, but it's not everything. It's not everything. It's not the ultimate human experience like we've been lied to believe in. Notice again the verse, the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You were not your own, he says. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. The ultimate human experience is to know and be known by God, your Creator. That's, that's the only thing that you can chase all these things, these cravings, these desires, these, these dreams, honestly. Unless they're God-given, you can chase these things and... I promise you there will be a, a point in which it's not enough and you were designed to be satisfied in God and God alone. So here's, here's an idea I want you to wrap your, your brain around. That every gift that God gives us, including sex, is not given so that we will have joy in that gift but for us to find joy in the giver of that gift. So every, every good gift that God gives us, okay, um, in, in relationships, in friendships, in, um, in sex, in, in hobbies, in steaks. Um, I like steak. So, but the, the temptation is always, okay, this is a temptation for all of us with anything that God gives us, any created thing. The temptation is that, that joy ends in that thing. To finish a good steak, you'll be like, that was amazing. That's what I am 
created for. Where's the next one? I can't wait to have... And, 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 and all of a sudden, like the joy ends in that thing. Instead, every gift, every, everything that God gives that's good was meant to be like a window that, that, that we look through and we see the giver and we praise, we praise the giver of that gift. And so God gave sex as a gift to marriage and again, as a, as a shadow of um, or as a window of or as a, as a mirror that reflects something. And, and I believe it's the kind of intimacy that we were created to have with Him. So every, every gift reflects something about God. So I believe, I believe that our, um, our desire for intimacy with others um, is, is, is something deep within us because it is something that God made us to have with Him and to have with each other. And, and sex is this thing that, that, that because it is such a powerful, unifying, one, uh, oneness kind of thing, it, it, it needs to be confined to this committed, lifelong relationship. But, in and of itself, it's just a picture of, it's just a reminder of, it's just a shadow or a window to, to help us see that God created us for something more. For to have relationship and intimacy, closeness with Him and with others. And it, and it doesn't have to be this physical act. So if you never get married, and if you never have sex, guess what? You're not missing some ultimate human experience. Knowing and loving God is what you were created for. And if you find yourself married someday, and realize like just about every couple I know and I could, I could, could tell you stories of this. Every couple I know that sex is complicated and difficult and it takes a long time. It takes time and work to, to do it well. And guess what? You find yourself married someday and, and realize, wow, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Guess what? That's okay, because you weren't made for that. You're made to know and love God. And God is the one who created it, and He is the giver of it, and He has the best idea for it, and He knows, he knows what it's supposed to be like for you and your spouse. And so all you have to do is just look to Him, seek Him for it, and let Him work it out. See, when we recognize that God, has, um, God and His gifts are enough for us, that we'll put sex or abstinence, and Paul's, again, that's the, that's the life Paul chose, and that's the life he's going to argue for us to choose in, in, in the rest of chapter 7. But, but when we recognize that God and His gifts are enough for us, we'll put sex or abstinence in its right place, and, and we'll seek Him for what He wants for our relationships. Now, I could spend another hour talking about the purpose of sex, um, why the Bible teaches marriage is to be between a man and a woman, I believe there's big, deep theological reasons why and how all of that is meant to remind us of Jesus and His love for the church. But again, my hope is that you and I would acknowledge and confess our baggage to God, um, that we would allow the grace of God, no matter, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, um, and the truth of God, no matter how 
um, how much it rubs up against your sensibilities to set you free. So I would like to um, have some time. Um, I don't know if we can play some music um, to do this, but I would just like to give some time for you to process some things, write down things that may be on your mind, pray about things that, that God's wanting you to talk to Him about, or just sit and reflect. But I just think it's important when, when we, especially when we hear this topic, but anytime we hear the Word of God, to allow some time to just kind of process. So take a few minutes, I'll close in prayer, and then we'll have a couple announcements, and we'll be done.